Hey there, brown coats and bounty hunters. Captain Boot Scoot here. This week on Sudden But Inevitable, we are watching the 2021 Netflix film Space Sweepers. Just a heads up, we are about to spoil this entire movie, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Okay. Are you done? All right. Three, two, one, let's jam. Hello, and welcome back to the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch, the podcast where I try to make my friends love my favorite things the same way that I do. Now, if you don't know me, my name, of course, is Captain Bootscoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. your host, Jesse. With me, as always this week, is my trusty, trusty friend, Ricky D, from Best Flicks with Ricky D, who, if I'm not mistaken, much prefers space to 1980s New York. Ricky D, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Got to watch a fancy new movie this week, and uh, time to talk about it, I guess. And it's new not old. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. the other thing that's new about it, actually, is that I hadn't seen this movie prior to this week either. So this is actually the first time on Sudden But Inevitable that I've never seen the thing we're about to talk about. That's kind of a milestone. It's kind of a huge deal. And to match that huge deal, we have a very cool guest to join us. Before I introduce that guest, I have to say hello to our longtime guests and friends, Callie and Rona in the chat. Hello, ladies. Thank you so much for being with us, as you are every week. We kind of love having you here and it, it just makes the whole week better and it really makes the show better uh, anybody that listens or watches totally agrees with that and i've been told that i'm not just saying that now our guest this week is a first timer here on the sudden but inevitable rewatch this is a guest that i've been trying to put something together with for a while it's just that we have very different production schedules and things don't always line up but tonight they have, and they lined up in such a way that our guest is the one who suggested tonight's movie, which of course is Space Sweepers. And the guest tonight is my friend Robert from the podcast Sci-Fi Remnant. Welcome, Robert. How are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. How are you doing? I am so excited to talk about this movie, man. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. I feel like I may have seen like a tweet about it 10 months ago, but I don't remember you know, ever thinking to myself, I got to see that. And then as soon as I heard you mention it, and then you mentioned an appearance on another show that you did where you talked about this movie, I went and listened to it. And the way that you described it, it, it just had to do it. I was like, they're talking about Bebop. They're talking about Firefly. This feels like my kind of space Western. And it definitely, definitely is my kind of space Western. So Thank you very much for joining us, Robert. I'm very excited to have you here as your first time, and I promise you, if you've seen the show, you know this will not be your last time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. We're very excited to get going. So, what we normally do here is we have a really quick synopsis of this movie, but I think the thing about this movie is that it can basically be summed up in one sentence. So, as opposed to giving that right away... I'm going to ask the two of you gentlemen a very small, quick question after I say, if you happen to be looking for something else to listen to this week, you should go check out my appearance on a little podcast called I've Never Seen Star Trek. I talked about the whole of season two with Sam and the hosts, and it was just so much fun, and I can't tell you, I, I 
I had a blast, and I really think that that comes across in the episode, so go check that out. And coming up very shortly, I'm going back to the Green Shirt podcast, which, as you know, is a newbie's track through the next generation. I've already recorded my appearance. I like to think I knocked it out of the park, so keep your eyes out for that. And of course, Cameron, the host of Green Shirt in Newbie's Trek through the next generation, will be joining us about two weeks from now to discuss the movie Slither, which I also have never seen. Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D, if I'm not mistaken, the most recent episode of Best Flicks with Ricky D covered the Saints of Newark, correct? Yep, that is correct. Many Saints in Newark. And Robert, what was the most recent episode of Sci-Fi Remnant? covering oh we were covering uh darling in the franks um it's an amazing Ooh. anime uh if you n- never seen anime you should actually uh, get into this one uh and uh, <laughs> and it, it, i had a lot of fun recording that episode so uh actually actually is actually my uh top three downloads right now so it, it climbed the chart real real fast so it's, it was a fun wow. it was a fun um episode so Definitely. I will check that out. I really want to watch Darling in the Franks. I've heard nothing but positivity about it. I would like to say hello to Justin from the Twist My Arm Network in the chat. He says Picard is the Shia. That's true, Justin. I agree with you. Uh, He's, of course, talking about the series Star Trek Picard, not necessarily just the man himself. Now, the question that I had for you, gentlemen, is this something new? We haven't done this on Sudden But Inevitable before, but I feel like it might help to humanize us and just kind of open us up to the discussion that we're about to have, because we all know we're going to talk about Space Sweepers, right? What else have you guys been watching this week? Robert, let's start with you. Is there anything else that you've been watching this week that you really feel like people should check out other than Space Sweepers? Well, uh... What I have been watching is I've been trying to get my wife into anime. And um, we just finished the entire SAO. And I cannot believe that she loved it that much. And we're, we just finished uh, this week. Um, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon, which is another anime. Nice. And um, I'm just amazed that she picked them up. She, she wants more. So <laughs> I'm happy. That's always an excellent sign. It's not always a guaranteed thing when you're introducing somebody to anime, as we have learned here on Sudden But Inevitable. Ricky D, have you been watching anything else this week other than Space Sweepers that you think people ought to check out? Of course I have. Uh, The old HBO series, Oz. That was the really weird experimental prison show. Uh, The first season and a half to two two seasons, they're a little crusty. They're a little bit rough. There's... They're using like old cameras and it's it looks a little weird. But by the time you hit the beginning of season three, the whole thing is on fire. And it's only six episodes per season. Oh, so wow. it doesn't take it doesn't take long to get there. I was going to say, I'm pretty familiar with shows that take a couple seasons to get going. But at six episodes apiece, binge it all, right? Yeah, definitely. How many seasons are there total? Six, I believe. That's not bad. Go ahead. Mm-mm. And then uh, following from Oz, Ozark it, uh, has the same beginning spelling, but Ozark on Netflix with Jason Bateman. Uh, it's a show about like the cartel and mo- uh, laundering money for him and that kind of thing. Very, very good. I don't know that I've seen him in a serious role before. Um, I'm not unwilling to try it. It's just one of those actors that usually when you hear that name, you don't associate it with drama. I, or, or at least right. Maybe I don't. Um, Justin in the chat, Robert says that he's really digging your anime tastes, totally agrees about Sword Art Online and how to pick up girls. Great shows. I watched Sword Art Online all the way through in probably the space of like two or three weeks. 
And I liked it. I really liked Gun Gale online. I, like, I was surprised that I liked Gun Gale. Um, but then I feel like by the end of it, I was like, okay, I need, I need a palate cleanser, um, which I think I probably need almost at the end of any anime series, just because they're so wildly different series to series. I mean, you could say that even with a TV show, like Ricky was saying, from Oz to Ozark, it's, there's vast differences despite there being, you know, thematic or tonal similarities. Um, so if you could for, oh, Rona in the chat says Ozark is great. I, I, admit, right. again, I have not seen any of the Ozark. Is, is Jason Bateman easy to take serious? Oh yeah, absolutely. He really falls into the like aggressive family man role very Ooh, well, where I he's basically doing like, everybody shut up. I'm in charge of this. I know what's going on. I'm going to handle this problem. Go to your room. It's like if um, his character from Arrested Development had a spine. <laughs> yeah. I can dig that. I can dig that. Maybe. And Ozark is is ongoing or is complete? Uh, new season coming out soon. I think there's three seasons out, and they're popping a fourth out very soon. Hmm. All right. Well. And speaking of new stuff coming out, Big Mouth came out today. Season five oh. of Big Mouth. That, if you are okay with a little bit of vulgarity, Big Mouth is hilarious and amazingly educational that is a show that our friend josh the head of the twist my arm network and the host of the twist my arm podcast has tried to get me to watch several times i i think i'm only not watching it because he wants me to watch it so bad like I, i'm sure it's a good show and i would probably love it but i'm like i gotta i gotta hold something back you know maybe we can make a podcast about that someday um Maybe not a surprise from me, but I watched the first couple, maybe three episodes, however many there are, of Star Trek Prodigy, which, uh, yes, is a show for children, and you can tell. And part of me is like, uh, I don't know about this, but I will say that as an adult, the music and the visual effects are enough to uh, hook me, especially as a longtime Trekkie. They're, they're the right tone. Everything fits for me. So... If there's no other shows that you guys feel like we should just quickly mention to the audience, shall we jump into our synopsis that I'm going to make up off the top of my head for Space Sweepers? Ricky, have you got anything? I'm good to go. Robert, is there anything you feel like you got to say? I'm ready to go. All right, you guys, let's do this. So if I'm not mistaken, the year is 2092. The Earth got used up. And um, that's the first note that I had was this is Firefly. And I'm in love with the first 30 seconds of this movie. Like, oh, okay, pretty similar setup to Firefly. Earth got used up. We had to move out. Oh, but we stopped in our own solar system because that's the easiest place to get to. Much like our last show that we watched together, Cowboy Bebop. This movie, I got to say, okay. The synopsis. It's 2092. Earth is used up. There's space junk everywhere. Makes it hard to get places. The uh, ultra-rich corporation UTS, which is uh, headed by none other than Richard Armitage, who you may know as freaking Trevor Belmont from the Castlevania anime, among other things. Maybe Thor and Oakenshield from The Hobbit. Anyways... He has created a way to terraform Mars, and he's going to use it to create a paradise for the rich while the poor languish on Earth. And they try to make money any way they can. And one of those ways is they go out into space and they chase down space garbage and they salvage whatever they can and they sell it back to, I think, UTS or maybe like just some kind of exchange market. There's a few points that I'm not clear on because this entire movie isn't in English. Um, 
But that's pretty much the setup. We've got a Cowboy Bebop Firefly-esque crew salvaging space junk in the near-terrible future. I don't know if you can tell, but I had a blast with this movie. And I, I think that it's because it was immediately recognizable to me. There wasn't anything where I was like, oh, they're ripping thing X off. It was, oh, they pretty clearly have seen this and they love it. Uh, Ricky D, what was your first uh, reaction when the movie started and you get basically the same setup as Firefly? Uh, well, one of my big questions from the very beginning is, is it going to take till 2091 till we hit this kind of dystopian future? You think it will this be sooner? Is, this is very realistic. Yeah. I mean, we've got mega billionaires trying to basically claim the moon and Mars and more planets for themselves. We are running out of resources. I wouldn't say they're trying to claim them. I would say they're then why using... else are they going there? They're the using... first person that gets to the moon is allowed to claim it and sell it to other people. Okay, well then that would be Russia. Um, but well, okay, not the first, but the first uh, person rather than the first. Oh, the first private uh, citizen. Yes. Okay, I was unaware of how the moon rules worked, but uh, yeah, the... <laughs> you played Risk. You played Future Risk. You know how it works. I did play Future Risk, but even then you had to build. Well, you're right. You had to build a base. A anyways, I think that their stated goal, while disingenuous, is that they're using their money to create access to a greater pool of resources and planets for all of humanity, which of course is a and lie. And they're going to sell that access to us. Right, exactly. It's 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 the actual character in this movie. It's the Richard Armitage character. I wrote down, is this who Zuckerberg thinks he is? Like, does he... Because he's trying to create his own freaking universe now, you guys, which is essentially the plot of what this rich guy does in this movie. But the movie immediately offers the rebuttal of okay, if you can terraform Mars, you should be able to just clean Earth, right? Sounds expensive, though. <laughs> like, but there's no way that it's more expensive than going to a different planet and changing everything about that planet is the, is the argument, right? So the economy is definitely at the heart of this movie. I mean, the the money and the jobs and the struggle, I mean, that's the plot. You know, the, the plot is a lot of people struggle for money and uh, attempt to ho hold on to their morality and humanity while doing so, which, you know, when you boil it down is the bones of a lot of really good stories. That's Firefly. That's Cowboy Bebop. Like we said, it's a lot of space Westerns. It's a lot of space movies. It's a lot of Western movies. The thing that's really cool about this is I feel like it's taken every piece of its almost every piece of itself from something else but I don't feel mad and I don't feel like they did it in a cheap way. Do you know what I mean? Does that, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, they, they, they did it very uniquely. Um, yeah. They, they give you one thing that I noticed too, is when I was watching it, this is almost the, the, the crew It's almost as if you're watching um, the fire, the firefly crew um, on unfiltered yeah. and, and, and the bebop completely unchecked. And that's very appearing from the very beginning when you see they're playing the, the Korean uh, poker game and, and they all like beat up each other and yeah. all of them, but Bob ended up in the floor unconscious. And that's, I could see this from the Firefly and um, the Bebop crew if they were mm -hmm. not completely like, because they have some sort of restraint 
if you think about it. That this this crew has none. <laughs> At the beginning, well, I mean, when they're and that's kind of the setup, right? Is that they all have their own goals, right? And they just happen to be aligned at the start of the movie. They seem to be this ultra cohesive team in the eyes of everyone else, but it's actually just a lot of people in it for themselves who happen to be in the same room, and that room can fly and shoot guns and pick up space trash. <laughs> now, the there's so many parallels, and I think I may have addressed as many of them as I could find, but we've got, oh, poor Simon is worried that River is already dead. Uh, I realize that that's not a direct correlation because it's his daughter and rather, you know, rather than his sister, but it was, you know, We've got a missing child. We've got somebody on the run from their regular life trying to find that missing child. That's very Simon and River. Um, I think um, Tiger, to me, feels like a direct combination of Jane and Sp and Jet in that he used to be Jane, but now he's a little more Jet. Like, But there's definitely both halves of that man in there, I think, because he's got the willingness to just challenge the captain and anyone else on the crew maybe not the intelligence but he's got the brute strength and he's got some calm patience and some fatherly vibes to him much like jet does and talent oh a hundred percent it's kind of funny you say that because when i see captain jan i see mel and i see jane in one in one one person i i can see that i would almost say she's closer to mal combined with spike personally because she's oh, yeah. like She's got this devil may care attitude. She's ultra smooth at all times. She's just like, I mean, the actress is not moving much on her face. And I believe it was a choice. And I think it was an excellent choice. And she's just always calm, always relaxed. You know, she's very whatever happens, happens. Even though she has the ability to just kick mountains of ass. I, I, I We waited a long time. But to your point, as far as her parallel with Jane... At the towards the end of this movie, Captain John does dress up Mr. Vera and take him out someplace with a view. And that was all I could think the whole time she was blasting off the edge of that ship. That I was, was like, it was I'm amazing. so happy. It was this is why she doesn't love the French hippie because she loves the robot AI in this gun. That's who she trusts the most. She can't love you, hippie guy. I really love the hippie guy. He was one of my favorite characters, yeah. and he's like totally ancillary. I I love that that scene when he says that was a long time, Captain Jane. <laughs> and when he go, he says something to her like, you know, he basically rallies a bunch of junkers to go save her, and then uh, Bub says something like, "My my word, that young man is obsessed." <laughs> and it's like, I okay, let's talk about Bubs. Ricky oh, yes. D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. The first message that I got from you in our group chat about this movie <laughs> was, and I quote, this is the sassiest robot I have seen since C-3PO. I was a big fan of Jane, or sorry, not Jane. Uh, Bubs. Bubs, thank you. I'm trying to keep track of the names. Uh, I loved Bubs. All, he was always wearing hilarious costumes, which was great. He, he was always, despite being in extreme danger, he was always very aloof. Uh, he's carried that giant spear around, which was fantastic. Yeah. The harpoon. Like, uh -huh. oh, yeah. we'll get that to that. Hurl into other spaceships. Yeah. Wow. Spider-Man through space. That was like, well, yeah, we'll get to that. I was like, I lost, I repeatedly lost my cool watching this movie. Like, I, I was just far too into it. But Bubs in particular, I just immediately wrote down the washbot. 
right? He's wearing like he's wearing like almost a Hawaiian shirt. He's got some uh, Asian print shirts going on, and then he has oh yeah yeah like that little holographic mouth. I love the holographic mouth that he has with the big smiley teeth or the question marks. Like again, all stuff that's pretty. Uh, what's the word for it? Simplistic. Like they're not they're not deep metaphors and they're not deep character designs, right? They're they're almost pure archetype characters but every single one of them works like there's nobody in this movie where i'm like oh they shouldn't have had that character in it personally callie d in the live chat says i instantly loved bubs he was as sarcastic as marvin but combined with the energy of k2so in rogue one which of course uh, yes. voiced by alan tudyk i do see i do see uh k2so and and, and bubs 100 <laughs> percent. now now, quick question, Callie D. Should we be saying she when we refer to Bubs? Because if if I'm not mistaken, they made a point in the movie that uh, Kim Kim I can I don't want to mispronounce any of the names. The little girl <laughs> said, uh, uh, "I hear you, lady," or something like that, right? Or or I hear you, girlfriend. And she was like, the robot was immediately. Because, uh, of course, all of us up to that point were led directly to assume if this robot can be considered to have a gender, we would assume based on the voice that it's a male, right? So it's a nice little subversive, not like a middle finger, but like a subversive way to get you to look a little bit inward, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't throw it in your face. They just went, oh, hey, by the way, this robot in this fictional future of space, why couldn't a robot consider themselves to be male or female? And they're like... Oh, okay. That's that's fine. They did it very subtly. I I appreciated it, and we got just some excellent payoff out of that character all the way through the movie. Now, I will admit right here, I have not seen a lot of Korean movies, and I was I had no idea what to expect as far as like tone or themes or any of that stuff, and or quality. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. They go all out. I am a big fan of uh, K-drama and K-movies, and uh, they typically go all out. And as a matter of fact, uh, the captain, um, Teo, he's one of my favorite actors. Uh, and is um, if, if you follow K-drama, you probably notice him from Descendants of the Sun, which is a great, great drama uh, if you want to get into. But he is a tremendous actor. I have a tendency to just kind of ignore most foreign films. I think most Americans do. I, I stick with stuff that's on this side of the border just because that's what's easy for me to see and that's what I'm used to. But this being kind of an introduction into Korean films, wow. Yeah. I've been ignoring Squid Game for the past couple of weeks. Same. Even though everybody's talking about it, I'm like, ah, whatever. It's not my kind of thing. All of a sudden, because of this movie, I'm curious. The, the budget is only $21.2 million um dollars on this film and look wow. at the quality the, the immense quality of science fiction this should have been a 300 million dollar movie with the quality that we see and yeah. they only spent 21 so i mean that that's mom it's just well my mind okay a cu couple things to touch on so first of all ricky d from best flicks with ricky d same boat, brother. I, I, I've i heard um, good things about K-drama, heard good things about K-pop. I'm the same way, though. I was like, I'm not, I mean, even as a person who really enjoys anime, I was like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't know about it. Now, to be clear, I've seen a few K-pop videos where I was like, the production value in this looks insane. 
you know, so there's definitely money there to spend on this kind of thing. Um, to play devil's advocate, though, there were definitely a few points in the movie where on the visuals I was like, okay, this is 100% CGI, right? Like, and and 90% of the movie is 100% CGI, which I'm totally good with because 99% of it is very, very well done. There's a couple of shots where I was like, oh, that's a little... Uh, it reminded me of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix, their other original, where they've got some computer animation mixed with anime, mixed with live action stuff going on. And it, it, it wasn't bad. It was just a thing that I noticed. So I don't want to sit here and be like, it's a completely flawless movie, because it's not. There's a couple things. Um, there's actually a couple things that I'm not sure I understand yet about the movie, so I'm hoping to get there you know, in discussion with you guys. But we have... You know, okay, so we have this setup where we get to meet this crew, and they're, like we said, they're just the best crew ever. They're the most competent space junker crew. They can literally take scores directly out of other ships' mechanical space hands, which I thought was just, how much fun was that? But being in debt, even when your job is successful, is what I like to call maximum bebop, because that's like the entire plot of Cowboy Bebop, and it's like kind of the entire plot of this movie. Another parallel, Pepsi made it. Did you see that? He's drinking a Pepsi. They had Pepsi and Cowboy Bebop. It's like, how? I'm sorry. I personally think that if there were an actual cola war, Coca-Cola would win. That's just me. Um, because Pepsi sucks is why I'm saying that. So um, we've got the Black Fox uh, environmental terrorist, you know, cartel, which is kind of similar to the Red Dragon syndicate. You know, it's just like, like I said, there's there's nothing in this movie that feels like they were the first people to think of it necessarily. But it definitely feels like, the, like Robert was saying, they gave it a unique execution. They did it lovingly. They did it respectfully. And they they did it really well. Like I, I can't think of outside of a few plot points and like, like I was saying earlier, a couple shots that were kind of, eh, there's nothing about the movie that made me go, okay, here's where it falls apart. Right. Like here's the, here's the one huge failing of the movie. I, I don't personally have one of those. Uh, do you have, Oh yes. Callie D agrees with me. Coke, a cola is King. Thank you, Kelly D. Um, Ricky D, did you have any, were, did you have any things about the movie in particular where you were like, okay, I loved the whole thing, but I could have done without X, or were you pretty much just satisfied? Uh, you know, the fact that they put everything on the little girl, mm -hmm. and she was like this major plot point that kind of changed everything, I thought that was a little too easy. Yeah, I would have preferred there be something else that drove the entire plot of the storyline than this little girl. I did find that a little, I don't know, cheesy or used up or, but other than that, I don't, I can't think of any major complaints that I have. Yeah. Well, and for me, I think part of the reason that I forgave it and not to be, a, however this comes across, but as a person who has a little girl who is, you know, very young, younger than the actress in this movie, um, I think it hit me a little bit harder just because of that, but also I think it worked because they didn't necessarily tie the main character's motivations into that little girl, right? His motivations were actually completely separate for an entirely different little girl. And yeah. to still go through everything that they went through and at the end of that still have him go, yes, give me the money, is a, it, that's the reminder of, you know, 
sure, maybe that little space girl who can control nanobots is the story in this movie, but it's not this character's story. That's not what he's focused on. He's focused on the money and getting his daughter back, right? So I feel like because they sort of subverted it uh, and then kind of re-subverted or double-subverted, I don't know what the uh, obverted, whatever, it, it, they played with it, and I feel like they didn't just do it straightforward and blah, but I definitely see where you're coming from. Robert. I do have oh, a quick ahead. question for Robert and maybe some of our uh, live viewers. Uh, one of the things I really liked about the little girl was the fart humor. Yes. Is that something that's a little bit more prevalent in Korean dramas? And Because farting is considered extremely lowbrow in American shows. But that... Uh, you know... It, it's you see it a lot. Um, yeah, excellent. I'm in. I, I think I think the reason, and I might be completely way off here, but this is just my perception of basically of all the dramas that I've seen, the, the K dramas that I've seen, is it, a way to humanize the character. So you see that kind of like as a tool to to humanize uh, you know, that person, because typically you know people and, don't fart, but once you fart, your family. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of American movies where they put scenes in bathrooms that kind of humanize it and that thing, but they don't go as far as to show a bodily function like farting or something like that. So maybe it's just a different uh, take on but it. But to, to your point, Ricky D, they do uh, show the functions in an extremely lowbrow American film. So, for example, mm -hmm. the bathroom scene in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle is, you know, it's technically a fart joke. But it's like uh, four and a half minutes long. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it doesn't really serve to. Well, actually, I would argue that even in that, it serves to humanize the characters because we, as the viewers in that moment, are meant to be Harold and Kumar, which are seeing these two beautiful women as like these paragons of sexuality, right? And desire. And, but they're actually just people and they do this terribly disgusting taco based activity. Um, that everybody does, you know? So it's like, it, 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 to Robert's point, I think that's brilliant. It, it's, it could always be viewed as a thing that humanizes people. And beyond just humanizing them, gives them some humility, right? And some relatable humility. Because it's like, I don't have a lot of points of relation with a small android girl, but I know what it's like to fart at the wrong time. So to your point, you know, that's, that's a really effective tool. And I... I'll be honest with you, Ricky D, and I think this is probably why you asked. I laughed out loud every time she farted in this movie. There, mm -hmm. there, there was not a fart that did not make me laugh. The fart machine. <laughs> yeah. And it's it was just, is it on the nose? Pardon my phrasing? Yeah, it is. But, like, it still works. And I got to say, the little girl is just impossibly adorable like yeah. she she's so emotive she's got the deepest eyes i love her little micro expressions with her lips and the way that she's like very knowingly glancing at people through the tops of her eyes you know around the corner and it's just she is so cute and she did a very good job and i feel like that might be part of the other reason that the uh special child trope didn't bump me quite as much because she's only you know what six or seven as opposed to 13 with an attitude or something because that would be like okay now i don't want to watch this movie <laughs> now river i think gets around that by just being very contemplative and ultimately vulnerable 99 percent of the time 
So, Callie D, our friend in the chat, says, I have to say I was almost disappointed that they used the little girl as a quick fix to save the crew at the time. I instantly forgave them because of the captain's corny quote. Yes, I, I... I honestly thought this movie was going to kill everyone in it. Um, yes, yes. Be- because that part of not knowing, having any frame of reference for a Korean movie, right? I was like, I know that in an American movie, there's going to be some BS at the last second where it's like, oh, everybody's fine, right? Now, to be clear, I don't think it's BS in this movie because they took the time to set it up like at three or four separate points throughout the movie that there are these indestructible nanobots out at these Lagrange points which brilliant, right? Okay, so if I'm not mistaken, and Ricky, if you could possibly Google this for me, if the Lagrange points are the three points uh, around the Earth's orbit where gravity is something, where like you can sit in that gravity well and not move because of how the Earth and the Moon's gravity interact at that point, if I'm not mistaken, uh, please just look up what a Lagrange point is. <laughs> now I. I can tell you one thing in in K drama they they go the extremes so you don't know what to expect is either the disney ending or is going to break you <laughs> break you break you where you can't stand up from that sofa and that's what i noticed on K dramas you you never know what you're going to get I was kind of expecting to be broken, and I. But even when I thought the whole crew was dead, I was actually happy with the movie, even up to that point. Regardless, Ricky, you said you've got my definition. Yeah, I never actually knew about this. This is really interesting. Lagrange points are positions in space where objects sent there tend to stay put. Yes. At Lagrange points, the gravitational pull of two large masses precisely equals the centripetal force required for a small object. To move with them. Yeah, such as the Earth and the Moon. So there are, mm-hmm. and I believe uh, there are three points, maybe four, I don't remember, but. I'm seeing five. Okay, and they're referred to as L1, L2, L3, L5, whatever. So brilliant use of real life science in this movie. What did we do in the future? We use those as a dump because we're like, we need our trash to stop floating around. Oh, let's go put our trash at the Lagrange points. That's a level of subtle realism that is just so cool, you know, because it's a it's a it's an obviously sci-fi idea because it has science behind it, but we haven't done it yet, making it fiction. I loved that. And I really love that they they set up those indestructible nanobots because it gives you sort of this like, okay, on a map there would be don't go to that place, right? And so if your map contains all of space, there would be some sp- parts Arby of Arby Dragons. Yeah, there'd be some parts <laughs> of space where you go, don't go there, because I live there. And and yeah, there'd be there'd be dragons. So even though it is a little bit saccharine to let the whole crew live at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, I'll probably go back and put one of those at the start. Um, it still I I still felt like it worked because they gave us all the elements required for it leading up to that, and the entire time we are shown the the one thing this girl does is control nanobots and. That's her function. So it doesn't break any of the rules that I feel like they set up. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not a tiny little bit too sweet, but I'm okay with it because they didn't break any of their own rules. Now, had the movie ended with them all dying and she lived, and let's say in that case, I would need the other little girl to live too. Like I would need Teho to wire the money, 
the service gets the money, goes and rescues his little girl, and then he sees that she's brought on board, and then he dies. I'd be okay with that. Like, I'd be okay if both little girls live, but none of the crew lived, or with the way the movie ended, which I also really enjoyed. Now, speaking of the way the movie ended, Robert, if they made a sequel to this, what do you think they would do? Oh, I would be so in. I, and I, I, I could not wait. I mean, typically in, in Korean dramas, you tend not to expect a two. Um, and I heard rumors that they're they're thinking about um, a two. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, they fix Earth. And um, I'm not sure where, where they can go from there. Um, they would have to definitely bring someone back and, and, and create some sort of antagonist because um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, it's the movie as it is right now, it, it, it ends uh, with all the, the points completed. So I'm not sure. I have to think about that one. I'd be interested to know if they would try and continue the story directly or if they would do like a time jump, right? Like, okay, and then five years later or you know three years later maybe earth has been fixed everything settled and oh, now that i'm saying that i worry that they would go and now there's an alien threat so i don't even want to finish that sentence <laughs> um i would love to see them out on the frontier let's let's get them um let's get them a uh like a fleet of settlers that they're going to take to a planet and they're going to land there and make it habitable or something you know i i i don't know i i feel like i could spend more time with this crew now the other thing about it is I can't tell if I need more time with this crew because like you said, Robert, it, it's totally self-contained. They they went with, you know, the choice the choices that they made are pretty clearly the choices they wanted to go with. Like we're gonna do it complete enough to be a self-contained thing or, you know, open ended enough to let it keep going. Um we let's let's talk about this ship. Okay, let's talk about the victory because the ship in these movies, the ships in these movies are characters in and of themselves, right? Serenity is a character. We love Serenity. The halls, the shape of her, the lighting around her, the the space in the cargo bay, that's part of us. We, lo- we love that character. We want to be with that character. Um, the Bebop, maybe not quite so much as the Bebop for me as uh, Spike's swordfish. I-, I love the swordfish. Um, and... Yeah. Because because I have main character syndrome, I feel like I would drive a swordfish. Uh, but Millennium Falcon, we love the Millennium Falcon because of how she looks, how she sounds, the way that she moves. Um, the Enterprise. I mean, pick a ship, right? We the ships are all characters. Ricky D, what did you think about the victory? Was it was it an immediately striking design, or were you kind of like, oh, it's a boat in space, or were you like, it, I felt more like a boat in space. It kind of reminded me of. Uh, in Matrix, I think it was probably the second and third Matrix movies more, where they were flying that weird magnet ship through the yep. like bowels of the Earth and that kind of thing. And they would pop up in different rooms, and you could tell people were like under maintenance tunnels and that kind of thing. But you didn't have a clear understanding of the ship the way you do for other ones like the Millennium Falcon. I feel like I could walk around the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, I figure. I feel like if I walked into Serenity. I could go straight to Kaylee's room and I know exactly where it was, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and I, first of all, I agree with you. Uh, second of all, speaking of the Serenity, the galley, right, where they're eating their meals in this movie, that's 
that's the kitchen from Serenity. Like, it feels like it could be the set from Serenity. They've got similar coloring with the yellow. Ah, that's similar to Bebop, too. Man, I love this movie, you guys. It's it, There's so much good about this movie. The, uh, the poker scene that you had mentioned... That is also feels like Star Trek to me. As you know, you know, any next generation fan knows the poker game is like those are some really fun episodes. They're never a long scene, it's just like a little character building moment because it's a high stakes, low pressure situation where you get to see how people's, you know, what people's natures are around a table playing a game like that. And I love that he says Teho this isn't during the during the poker game, but Teho says to Bubs. Um, greedy people go to hell, remember? And then the camera actually cuts behind Bubs and he's wearing a hoodie. And on the back of the hoodie, it says, I lived in hell. So it's like, <laughs> it's like a direct camera uh, visual answer to a dialogue line. And I was just like, I like that. That's anime to me. That's that's an anime style thing to do. And it's, it's in, a, in an American movie, it would feel slapstick, I think. But here it was just man style all the way through i don't know what there's got to be another word for style that i can't think of but i just i love it uh rona says victory was the name of nelson's flagship at the battle of trafalgar visitable at portsmouth england dock so i think if i'm not mistaken there is a tendency in anime um to and i think in particular with I don't remember the name of the series, but it may actually just be Space Battleship Yamato. Um, there is a series about a battleship, a Japanese battleship called the Yamato, but they like reclaim it and add some stuff to it and put it in space. And then humanity like goes through space in an actual ship. And that's like the plot of that. I haven't seen it, but it is a thing that I've heard of. And now that I'm thinking about it, the ship in Cowboy Bebop, the Bebop, is also a boat, right? Because it's amphibious. So it's it's interesting. And do you, I wonder if that's because there are, there are so many island nations where all this media is coming from. So if they're just extrapolating forward, right? They're going, if we went to space, what would we do? How we just take the stuff we have, uh, but make it space worthy, Right. I actually like that design on the Victory where it's very much a boat in space. Like it's it's a triangle with a square on the end of it. The coloring is a little basic, but I feel like they probably did that to make the visuals a little easier to work with. Like not in a not in a lazy way, but in like a I need to be able to pick that ship out on a screen full of 10,000 ships. And everything in this movie to me except maybe the Victory looks like something else, right? So um for example, you can tell that it was shot last year or the year before because there are a couple of scenes where people are just straight up wearing a regular face mask. Now, in the future, maybe there are more reasons to do that other than just COVID, but it helps you get away with looking pretty cool in a sci-fi movie if you need to shoot a big crowd scene and just have everybody in a mask. They they went with the brilliant um, version of putting everybody in a dance floor right and they have like all these electronics i love that dance floor scene definitely made me feel like i was watching tron legacy the scene with uh daft punk djing for everybody in the computer world it was just oh man i loved it i loved it now before oh yeah so everything in this movie feels like it was from somewhere else the uh the robots like the robot guards reminded me of chappie and yeah I got some Chappie vibes. Yes. Like Chappie, the Matrix, like Ricky was saying, we got the underground tunnels. Um, there's definitely like some 
oh man, what was the other one that I wrote down? Oh, there's definitely a little bit of Star Wars in here going on. Um, oh, the whole intro sequence is basically the Cowboy Bebop episode, Heavy Metal Queen, but in live action. You've got all the space truckers in their individual cockpits and like you get to see what their personalities are, right? Because they've got them plastered on the walls. And it's just like, this movie is is, I think, unabashed fun in the way that you can tell the people that were making it were deeply passionate about the amount of enjoyment that they had for the story, right? They weren't going, and I I realize it was created to be the first Korean blockbuster, but they still had, they still went at this from a, um, a genuine place emotionally. And I think you can really tell that because some of the, man, some of the struggles that these characters go through, in particular Taeho, it's just like, it was, it was, difficult for me and i was getting way more emotional than i thought i would in a space western movie from another country um but i i I think that i think the passion and the care is clear here um robert i have been talking for like 20 minutes straight what is your favorite thing about space sweepers if you had to boil it down to like top three what are your three favorite things about this well, I was thinking about this, and I think this is a fun love letter to sci-fi in general. And, and this is why, in my opinion, this movie is so much fun. Because he borrows from everything and everyone. And, and it's just in a fun way. In the first, I don't know if I told you, but I, I saw the trailers when the movie was com- coming out, and I added it to my list. And I completely forgot about it until the guys from Blockbusters uh, reach out to me and to, to watch the movie. And I was like, why did I do that? This movie is amazing. And it's a love letter, like we were just talking about. It, it borrows from everything in, in science fiction. And, and that's a big plus in my book. <laughs> I love science, yeah. science fiction. Uh, Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. Do you think you could identify? I mean, I, like I said, it's hard for me to pick pieces out because I was just like, I honestly felt like I was watching this movie like, <laughs> um, but if you could pick out a couple of things, what would you say is like your favorite three things or whatever about the movie? Uh, one of the things that I really liked were the space battle scenes. Yeah. Those were fairly unique. Yeah. Like of all of the space battles I've ever seen, Having uh, Bud, Bud, is that the Uh, robot's name? Bubs. Bubs. Bubs, thank you. I'm so bad with names. Uh, Seeing Bubs, like, launch around from ship to ship, destroying, like, using melee attacks in space to destroy your enemies. Uh, You know, having somebody standing on the back of the ship with a giant, like, cannon of a gun shooting against other ships rather than having some kind of internal like lasers that you shoot at the other ships. She's doing it physically. I love the, of all, I've seen so many space battles, but nothing, anything like this. I referred to that particular scene of Bubs as uh, halfway through this note, it becomes entirely capitalized. Zero G ship whaling is what every non-organic life form in every sci-fi property should be doing. Holy shit. All the time. (laughs) And I, as far as the captain goes, like we had that, um, there's that little, they do like this weird, almost, okay. I don't know if I would say unforgivable. They have a moment where the 
the main bad guy goes, here's some exposition on these characters. And then he gives you the backstory on the whole crew, which I'm totally good with because I, we didn't get it up to that point. And at that point, I think we're like an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Anyways, the couple of shots that we get of Captain Jong's past, I would love a whole mini series of the Captain's past. Like she gives me heavy... 80s 90s anime vibes in her dossier video and uh damn i'm gonna need some of that please domo arigato live action masato i was having just so much fun with captain jong she might be my favorite character in the movie you guys i don't know about you pick pick a favorite character and you can't pick bubs ricky d because yeah. it's too easy right it's too easy if you had to pick a favorite character other than bubs let, well, go Robert first to give you a chance to think about it, Ricky D. Robert, if you had to pick a favorite character other than Bubs, who would it be? Um, wow, that's... Yeah, I, I was going to say Bubs. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Um, maybe Teo. Um, I guess because I can understand him as a as a parent and as a matter of fact the movie the first time that i watched uh i watched it it almost broke me yeah and 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 if you have kids you'll definitely understand one why i'm saying if you watch this movie the first time it broke me so why i picked it it because i although he did some bad choices it you cannot sympathize and you wonder if you would probably pick those bad choices because of your kids. Mm -hmm. And I, if I'm being honest, the whole time I, I was, th that was why I was expecting the movie because I had no idea of what kind of tone to expect. So I figured they were at the very end, they were just going to rip my heart out and go, Nope, he died. His daughter died. This little girl died and her dad died too. And I, and I was fully expecting them to do that to me. And to give that to give that breakdown scene where he's he's having this like this realization of the the rest of what she wrote in her in her uh oh, Korean yeah. practice book it's like like you said and again not to be that guy but like there is a look that your kids give you when they are you know admiring you or when you do something that surprises them in maybe a negative way that just kills you it tears your heart out you go oh my gosh i haven't set the example i wanted to set i've been the person i said i was never going to be and but i think even beyond that like i think that's a relatable feeling for people in general you don't have to be a parent to understand the feeling of i totally just stepped in it or made a very stupid comment or made a blatant idiotic mistake in front of people and like I have to look inward to figure out how to feel better about it because nobody else around me should be forgiving me for it. Because if you think about it, like from everybody else's perspective, he's kind of a bad person, right? Like why should you get to feel good and comforted by this, this, this person's daughter who you killed and deafened by the way, yes. right? The answer is because he's, he had, he be, his morality shone through and he realized, you know, I can't just mindlessly follow orders. I have to do something. Now, is it unfair of him to pin that transformative experience on that girl? Yeah. 
but she did need parents, and at the time, he was in a place to provide well for her. So it's, I, I like that even though the movie is space western, people have no money. Again, that's the whole plot. The complications around it and the nuances to that for each individual character, I think, really make this very human. And as we spoke about before, it's impressive that they managed to get a very human moment, several very human moments even, out of the 100% CGI robot character. There were a couple moments there where I was like, if they kill this robot, (laughs) I mean, it's a robot, but I'm going to be upset, you know? And because I have seen now that this robot has desires and I'm going to be really sad. And for, for them to, there's definitely something there in the metaphor of Teho letting his, his daughter go. Right. Um, because it's, it's definitely feels like at the end of the movie and it, that she's, she's not going to be saved. Right. She's, she left the orbit which to my mind means his his actual daughter that he's been chasing the whole movie, she can no longer be saved. But he's found his family by the end of the movie. You know, the new little girl says, this is our, we're a family now. Uncle Tiger does this. Uncle Teho does that. So I feel like there might be part of the message I might be missing because I'm like, why did he stop going after his daughter? Or was it just that they didn't find her in time? I- I wonder if this is meant to be his penance. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, everything that happened to the little girl was his fault. Mm-hmm. He, he did kill the mother. He was the cause why she was deaf. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen. And it, it, I always wonder about that. It, after watching this movie uh, multiple times, if this was to be supposed to be his, his penance, um, as his way to, you know, he's not going to get to her. Period, and and that's your your punishment for everything that you have done, all the bad choices you have done in the past. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that's probably what they were going for, and I I appreciate you clarifying that because I was like, I think part of it was that I was so like surprised at how much fun I was having that I was like, oh, I forgot to be an analytical viewer. Um, now, actually, if I'm being a total totally honest. I think part of that actually came from my decision to watch the English dub of this movie. Um, I don't think that I needed to do that in retrospect. And I think when I rewatch, I'll probably just watch it in Korean because, okay, this is a part of, of the Firefly-esque space Western where this movie far outshines Firefly. The multiculturalism in this movie is just replete throughout it there are there's no mention of like you know race wars or territorial armies or any of that it's just that yeah everybody who is poor is poor and we struggle together sometimes quite literally in this movie i also want to point out uh tons of different people speaking different languages and everybody just kind of worked together and understood each other they didn't even have to have the same uh, common tongue they they just Mm -hmm intrinsically understand we are all struggling because we're all on the the lower tier of society here which is i mean it's a beautifully powerful message that for some reason seems to be really difficult to to get across in america but it it definitely gives the whole thing that flavor of reality i think like it it has 
enough of a basis, which is important for any science fiction movie, right? If you're going to ask us to suspend our disbelief because you're going to have Chappie as the military and you're going to have a Dyson Sphere and you're going to have heavy, heavy metal trucker space cavalry, the whole nine, there's something that has to ground it, right? We have to, we have to go, okay, but what's realistic about this? And again, it comes back to that economic part of it all. Uh, we haven't talked too much about the villain in this movie. Uh, like I said before, he's played by Richard Armitage. He's a mashup of every ultra-rich, evil, super-genius scientist ever, right? What do you guys think about his performance? Ricky D., let's start with you. What did you think about his performance? Uh, nothing is really sticking out to me. I thought he was uh, good for the role. Uh, nothing stuck out as particularly great or lacking. Uh, it was very interesting that he seemed to be the most American person. He was like, uh, I want to say he tasted like a 1930s, a 1920s American somehow versus the 2000s. Because he has that sort of captain of industry spirit, right? Where he's, you know, what mm -hmm. if I... Like an oil baron. Yeah, what if I bought all the supply, then what? But he, I think I feel what you're saying as far as nothing really stuck out as super positive or super negative. I feel like he may have been like fully lost in the role. Like he, he was, I, I feel like you can tell that he's kind of having a blast. Like he's chewing scenes, yeah. man. Like, cause it, he's the caliber of actor where you know that he could play it a hundred percent straight. Right. But I think there's, I doubt there's anybody that read through the script for this movie and went, Oh, it's, you know, the most serious drama that there is. I don't think anybody in yeah. the movie thought that about the movie um to that point i really liked his performance because it was not it was not over the top scene chewy but it was scene chewy and there was a few things that were i think that's a really really brilliant parallel that you drew ricky like a 1930s industrialist businessman because he believes every single heaping spoonful of bs that's coming out of his mouth right he's post morality right because he's post economy right you can only be those things if you have the economy by the sack and you are controlling it <laughs> like mm -hmm. so you know it, only the rich only the rich say money doesn't buy happiness right so yeah. the the movie you know despite being familiar territory you know we're used to poor space crews that are struggling to get their next bounty or their next job, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, we're used to that, but something about the spirit of this movie is new enough and unique enough and fun enough to just sustain it. And and I'm not 100% on what that is because I have, like I was saying, I have no other frame of reference, but based on the other things that I've seen that are similar to this, it's... I I'm gonna put I'm gonna rewatch this movie and I'm gonna put it on my list as far as things that I tell people to watch. I don't I mean Ricky I don't know about you but I'm gonna be like, you know anybody that I know that likes Firefly I'm going to ask them did you watch Space Sweepers? I already cornered somebody at work today. There you go. And I was like I I knew she's into kind of newer she's into a lot of Korean stuff and I was like have you heard of Space Sweepers? She goes no don't know anything about it. I'm like you've got to that In, into korean and not watching uh space sweeper yeah <laughs> unforgivable <laughs> well maybe there's just a ton of volume if you're really into it that, and that's the thing is i have no idea like i 
I think I've, like I said, I've seen a couple of K-pop videos and you can tell there is money going into the production of those videos. Like, I don't, I don't, don't really know how else to say it, but they, they're very well made. Um, and K-pop is catchy. I don't know any K-pop, but I've heard it like ambiently and it's catchy. It's pop. I mean, that's what pop does. <laughs> so next week we are going to be covering the entire history of K-pop here on Sudden But Enough. I'm totally kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but I, here's the thing. I had several thoughts throughout this movie of, you know, oh, the movie's almost over or, oh, here comes the big reveal or, oh, here's the last big plot point. And then I would pause it to make that note. And there would be like 40 minutes left in this movie. And I was like, I am totally here for this. I usually once a movie hits two hours or any longer than two hours, there has to be something about that movie that I'm really invested in. I, it has to be either part of a series or it needs to be super original or it needs to be, you know, something that I've been waiting for, that kind of a thing. To be totally clear, again, I had never heard of this until Robert suggested it to me maybe, what, a month or two ago? And yeah. and it was like, uh, it, it was perfect for the for Sudden But Inevitable. And here's why. Sudden But Inevitable is specifically meant to be a way for me to share the things that I love with my friends and just to show them like, hey, here's a thing I love and here's the reasons I love it. What do you think? Because everybody knows the feeling of going, look at my cool thing and have somebody go, oh, okay, cool. Uh, anyways, so if I can like drag out the experience of having that person go, oh, show me more of that thing and share it with as many people as possible, then I would love to do that. That's why we started with things that we knew that I was going to love, Firefly, Cowboy Bebop. I am impressed and a little bit scared because if Robert can just come in here out of nowhere and suggest something that I like, does that mean that I should stop ignoring Ricky D's suggestions or things to watch and Josh's suggestions for things to watch? Like, you're already past that point. But I, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if should I now go back and ask you guys for recommendations because this was great? I don't know that I'm ready to do that, but I mean, it's possible, right? Like it at least opens up the possibility. And Ricky D, just so that you and I are totally clear, I have seen and do love Freaks and Geeks. You're aware of that, right? Uh, I <laughs> question your love for it, but I'm aware that you've seen it. Um, I saw this this point made, and I don't remember if I saw this point made on Twitter or uh, Reddit, um, but either way, I'm a nerd. There was somebody saying, have you ever met fans of the television show The Office? They don't say, have you seen The Office? They say, do you watch The Office? As if to imply that at all times, you should be at some positioning of a rewatch on your way back through The Office yet again. Uh, that's how a lot of Office fans right. are. So what I'm asking you is, is that how you are with Freaks and Geeks? Like, do you watch it once a year? Oh, uh, I'd say probably once a year, but not like once a month or twice oh, a no. month or anything like not that. Not like an office fan. <laughs> I just mean, what I mean is for you, is that like one of your uh, top echelon properties that you always come back to? Probably. I've probably seen the entire series at least 10 times. Wow. Now, I mean, again, not as insane as an office fan because it's only one season, right? <laughs> um, or is it two seasons? 
It's okay. one. That's one. 13 episodes. That's, yeah. Uh, Rona says, uh, U.S. office or U.K. office? Uh, this would be the U.S. office, Rona, because the U.K. office had the good sense to end after like eight episodes, if I'm not mistaken. There was like six episodes and then maybe two specials or something. And then Ricky Gervais just kept making money off the American version. Um, I do like both, honestly. I, I do really like both. I think the U.K. version is definitely more my cup of tea, uh, to stick with the metaphor. Uh, but I can totally understand why people loved the the United States version of The Office. I feel like it definitely went downhill after, um, uh, oh my, what is his name? Michael Scott left. What is his Michael real Scott, name? Steve Carell. Thank you, Steve, Steve Carell. Carell. I was like, I know Michael Scott, but I don't want to like sit here and only say that after I just made fun of Office fans for being obsessive. So, uh, yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Ricky. And I want to say The Office is... a good very funny very watchable show but the fans are absolutely insufferable i mean that's kind of true for most properties right yeah okay I'll <laughs> like but there's so many office fans that they just they swarm and overwhelm all the time well and it's i think the thing that bugs me about it not to be completely tangential or anything but i think the thing that bugs me about it is that it's like yeah it's designed for everyone to love it like you're not you're not introdu- you're not going, oh my gosh, you've never heard of The Office? Because nobody's answer to that is, no, what is it? So it's like, just get over it, dude. Like it, it, I mean, I agree with you, Ricky. It's watchable. It's a good show. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit crazy how people get. Um, there are a list of shows that I still want to check out that I think you have suggested, but they don't fit the sudden but inevitable format. So I might just have to like watch them like a regular person. It's been a long time since I've done that with anything TV related. Now, as you know, if you have watched the sudden but inevitable rewatch before, we have a couple of segments that we like to get through each time we watch a new show or an episode of a show or a movie. And we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, I would like to ask Robert, is there anything uh, about the movie that you feel like you have to have to talk about uh, before we move forward. It it touches a it touches a lot of like deep topics if you think about it. I mean the movie mm. was fun, really really fun. Um, but like for example, you know we already touched on, on one of those where it's actually a conversation online now uh, nowadays where a lot of people are talking how we should you know fix Mars. And then other people say, well, fix Earth first. Um, but one of the things is um, it's very apparent from the very beginning of the movie. And I don't know if you guys noticed this. Most people that I mentioned don't notice this. Um, towards the beginning, there's that little plant that, that goes through the pavement. And it gets tram- you know, trampled by the vehicle that was mm-hmm. going by. And I think that's very foreshadowing of the movie. And when I saw that, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, here's Earth saying, I'm here. Because if you notice, everybody had masks because, you know, Earth, the, 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 the air is almost to the unbreathable point. Yet here's Earth saying, hey, I'm still here. I'm fighting and we're just stomping on it. And, and I, I saw that very foreshadowing of the rest of the movie mm-hmm. and that little tiny, what is it? Three second clip. And, and it just, for some reason, that scene just hit me. 
um, considering all that you know, all the climate issues that we have, and how you see that, you know, if we continue, we're we're going that way. So you know that first, I just wanted to point that out because that that was very impressionable from for me when I saw it. Yeah, and they, it, like you said, it definitely fits thematically the entire narrative, right? Because you end up having the haves and the have-nots, just like in any society. And in this case, the have-nots are on Earth because that's where it's not safe to be. And yeah, that that combination of the dystopian landscape of Earth mixed with this sort of pure escapism of most of the environments from space felt very close to home, right? When I get home, I turn on my video games or my you know, television and I stream some entertainment. I get my digital fix. I have everything on demand. Um, I can spend some time, you know, making a podcast. I could make, you know, a video stream, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, Keep my brain occupied at all times only with the things that I want. Because if I stop doing that, I'll have to start thinking about, oh man, I don't know if I recycle enough. I don't know if I'm, you know, should I get an electric car? You know, like there's a lot of stuff I could be thinking about and spending my time on better. But the economic struggle is enough to where, you know what, when I'm done with work, I just want to have fun. So I'm going to go home. Yeah. I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to watch a cool movie. And that seems to be what these people are doing, right? They're like, I just need to make money. I just want to live. I just want to finish my job, go back home and be alive. And so, you know, you get that separation, the the desert of the real to take a phrase back out of the matrix. And then you have this plane of pure escapism in this, which in this movie, it's space, you know, in the matrix, it's the matrix. Um, but it's just, it's, yeah, I, that's an excellent, excellent point, Robert. Basically the entire plot of the movie in, in like a four second scene in in a perfect little tiny visual metaphor i love that ricky d from best flicks with ricky d is there anything else from the movie that you feel like you absolutely have to get out uh i just want to point out this movie is two and a half hours like you mentioned two hours 20 minutes somewhere around there it is dense yeah there is plot lines and storyline information constantly uh if you're the kind of person who likes to play on your phone stare at facebook whatever during this movie set your phone somewhere else for a few minutes for a couple hours uh this one is dense it's good i don't mean i'm not trying to scare anybody away but there is important information even if you're staring at the screen and preparing to talk about it live with other people there's going to be little things that slip past you so it's definitely going to be worth a rewatch and some very diligent viewing 100 percent agree you would want more that's that's the yeah. problem. It's two more than two hours, and you want more. Yeah, it. There was definitely a couple of things um, that I think I didn't understand because I was, like you said, Ricky. I was preparing notes and getting ready to talk about it, and I think even looking away for you know the thirty seconds it takes to write a note, you could miss something. Um, for example, was the antagonist? Did, was he like dying of old age, or or was he? Like some kind of like was did he have a disease? I thought he was fending off mortality. Yes. Okay, but okay. Secondary question: Does he do that by killing other people, or because it seems like every time that that happens, somebody in the room would die? 
like he he has that face and then he kills the uh reporter right and then he had that face when he killed the other dude that he said hey do this and i'll let you go or do this and i'll let you be a citizen but then he killed the guy so i was like is this some kind of body replacement vampire magic (laughs) i i think and i think i i talked about this and and other shows, including mine. Um, remember, this guy is over a hundred years old. He is super rich. He's super powerful, and he's fending out to the point where he's considered to himself being immortal. Mm-hmm. So it, it touches, and I like to talk in, in the philosophical questions. What would happen to a human when you know? What does it mean to be human to a human that is? immortal. And I think this is a perfect example in this character where the value of, we see this from Alter Carbon as well, the the value in humanity once you reach that level is very low. And, 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 And to top it off, he already had a vendetta because of what happened to him when he was a kid. So I think that transformation that you see is his rage. Um, and imagine, you, you are very prompt to rage, and you're immortal. You already consider other humans beneath you. That's what I expect to happen from from someone. Um, what do you think? I mean, do you agree with that statement? I like that because he he definitely has this image of himself as um, superior uh, uh, and and other. Right? He's in his mind, he's not human. He's post-everything, post-morality, post-economy, post-human, post-physicality even. I mean, he, now to be clear, that's what I was going to say. If I could make a hologram of myself, bet your ass you could see it from like one state over. (laughs) Like, that's how I am. And so I totally understand that that impulse. Um, And I... I recognize that that's a little megalomaniacal of me, but I'm I'm also I don't have the resources or the drive to become that person, so I'm up. Don't worry. Um, but I feel like, as kind of absurd as that is, it's still realistic, right? Because kind of what I just said, like we that's definitely not outside the realm of what somebody who thought very highly of themselves would do, right? If you watch this movie. And you just picture, don't picture Mark Zuckerberg, because that would probably ruin the the character of the antagonist. But um, think about, like, pretend in your head that that character's last name is Zuckerberg, right? Like, Uh this is what he's doing. He's trying to create a space where he has full control over all data of reality, and you have to get it from him, and he is the keeper of all things. Like, the metaverse is meant to be, you know, physically everywhere this is uh, this movie is as many other stories in sci-fi are the part of part of it is a cautionary tale against the the tendency of humans to at some point decide okay i'm no longer bound by the rules of society i have enough money or enough influence or whatever it is to do whatever i want and I don't know. Maybe we're maybe we're getting to that point. But you're right, Robert. Somebody like that would have such contempt for the people that he claims to be wanting to help, right? Because really, it's not that. It's about control. He wants to do the thing to show that he can do the thing, 
He wants to prove to himself that his legacy is worth worshipping, which is a catch-22 because he would do it anyway. He's an egomaniac. So I think that your interpretation of that's like almost just a physical rage is is definitely a possibility and potentially very accurate because we definitely see he's got this like very fundamental disdain for people from earth or for poor people let's be honest um and for the guy that calls him out you know the reporter who's like hey i'm you know what about all this stuff that your corporation does and he's he's not even like at first he goes you know wait a minute he's making valid points but then we it turns out that he's just doing that to ingratiate himself to the guy because really what he thinks is how dare you question anything i do and there cannot be a true leader of humanity or a true leader of anything if they do not allow questioning of their own authority right that's that's definitely a concept i've heard somewhere before i can't remember where anyways that's an excellent interpretation robert and i really like it and and i think also if i want if i might add to that is that what makes him so powerful as well is the fact that he has an understanding of human behavior and we can see this in everything he does, including that reporter, mm-hmm. where he proved to him that he would do worse, and he did worse in front of him um, by shooting that other person. Yeah. And now he claims, and he that he did that to Tejo also when he gave him the money. So like, go ahead, take it. You know. Yeah. And he indicate he's telling them like, "You're animals. You will you will do what I." can see in your DNA that you will do. I, however, can make choices outside of those spheres of, you know, instinct and DNA and things like that. When in reality, all of the choices that he's making are based on instinct. And all he's doing is showing people, if you're put in a difficult spot, you will rely on instinct. That's just how humans are built. I disagree with his assertion that everyone has a bad nature and it just is waiting to come out. I think it's more of everybody has a survival instinct and depending yes. on, you know, a million pieces of calculus, that person will act one way or another. Now, one of the segments that we do here at Sudden But Inevitable is a little thing that we like to call the shot of the show. Ricky D, my friend, do you have the bumper for shot of the show? Yeah, this is the shot of the show, everyone. Shot of the show, as you know, is where we share our favorite visual moments from this week's property. Maybe the moments that hit us just a little bit harder than the rest. Now, this first shot I'm going to put on the screen, and then I'm going to have our wonderful guest, Robert, talk about it. This was Robert's pick for shot of the show. And this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is Bubs. Yes. And this shot is at 2 hours, 9 minutes, and 55 seconds in the movie. Go ahead. I love this scene because it is so sci-fi, you know, and everybody that knows me, I'm all about sci-fi. This is Bubs on human form. Um, She finally got to get the body that she wanted. So she is on the top of Victory reading a book with Earth as a background. How cool is that? And and if you watch the scene, you, you see her hair is floating. Because obviously there's no air. So there's absolutely no air. And she's just, you know, reading a book, enjoying herself. I really love that it's got this 
it, like you said, it's very sci-fi, and to me, it's it's immediately that's the vibe that you get because you're like, oh, it's a sp- oh, it's a- wow, okay, like there's nothing about it that's immediately obvious, right? And then they have this like the the focus on her face for me is is the best part of this because this is what she's been waiting for. She just wanted to be herself, her full self. That's all she wanted to do. She didn't want to have a body so that she could, you know, be in a competition that only humans were allowed in or, you know, you know, to feel more human or to, you know, experience emotion or any of that. She just wants to be who she sees herself as. And now that she can do that, she's literally ignoring the rest of the universe. And it's it's just this this one moment of peace, you know, you could almost point to each character's one moment of peace in this, in this movie. And I really, really like this shot of Bubs. I also really dig the choice not to change Bubs voice. <laughs> that was played, yes. played for both um, heartfelt emotion and a, a uh, good spirited laugh. I really like that moment. I love that. this photo. Oh, go sorry. ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this photo also does a really good job of displaying the rule of thirds for photography. Mm. Anybody that knows that it's got bubs on the right side. It's got the book, which is also important in the middle and the left side of the screen is all full of the earth, which is giving us, you know, more context and background. This is a very beautiful shot. It's very uh, classically composed. Yes. And it's, I agree with you. Like I could put this, I could get a print of this and put it on my wall and it would be, almost avant-garde, but probably actually just nerdy. Um, so I have uh, one, I believe we have one other selection for a shot of the show. Robert, if you don't mind switching to your other pick there. Um, my selection for a shot of the show this week actually comes from the opposite end of the movie. This is about 22 minutes and 55 seconds into the movie, but that is this shot right here. If you will, please excuse the rather small nature of the photo you can see that this is the scene where they go to the cargo bay of the ship the derelict ship that they're going to get and see if they can get scrap for it there's this cargo bay full of these airbags that just look like white volleyball sized balloons and buried into this cargo bay full of airbags is the little girl and she's got a white helmet and it looks like it's one of the airbags and it catches Teho off guard as he's shifting through and is it Maybe an obvious choice to make as far as shots go. Yeah. Did they execute the heck out of it? Yeah. I I got some 2001, uh, you know, yes. vibes from this. 2001: A Space Odyssey vibes. Um, definitely a little bit. If you've if you guys have seen the movie Solaris, um, not the original because I haven't seen that, but the remake with George Clooney is very strangely paced. Uh, creepily toned movie really good but I, this shot kind of reminds me of it some of the sterile environments of a space movie and you have the faceless visor here right so this is before we know the young girl Kotnim. i got it i finally remembered it and i didn't have to look it up and i didn't mispronounce it this is our introduction to Kotnim, and she is just the sweetest little girl but in this shot she's a faceless danger potentially because we don't know anything about her except that the government is looking for an exploding bomb in the shape of a little girl. So this is like your 
oh t- simultaneously terrifying and potentially adorable moment and it's also got a little bit it's a little bit evocative of the eggs from alien or aliens yes. right you've got definitely this, these creepy spherical things and there's definitely some life in there but you can't tell where i just you guys this movie wow, so much flipping fun with this movie we don't have a bumper for the next segment mm-hmm. I do have a shot of the show. I just don't have a picture of it. To oh, show. if you wouldn't mind, Ricky D, please describe it in the greatest, most beautiful florid detail. Yeah, this is also very early in the movie. It's only 10 minutes, 30 seconds in. Uh, but this is a shot where they're starting to go out and collect the space trash. Uh, and But there's obviously people to compete with. So this is when Bubs is walking around, along the top of the shift, dragging his spear behind him. And then uh, the sh- shot that I actually chose was him wearing kind of a Hawaiian T-shirt. It looks very much like Wash. Yeah. And he looks like an Olympian with an arm stretched out. He's got the harpoon over his shoulder and he just hurls it through space. That's my shot of the show. That scene is just. It's. The reason that I think I reacted to it the way I did uh, was because. It's like, why, why did it take this long for somebody to send their robot out just kill surfing? Because that's what you should do, right? Like, if you have a crew member that requires no oxygen and no protection from the void, that person should be a missile, I, you know, if, as long as they have some level of indestructibility, a la a robot. I, I love this robot. Now... The second segment that we have for this cool, relaxed movie version of the Sudden But Inevitable rewatch doesn't have a name, but it's all about dialogue. This is where we pick favorite quotes. Um, if the, if we had one, favorite lines from the movie, mo- lines that stuck out a little bit more to us than other lines. Um, I would like to invite our friend, our guest, Robert, to go first again. Robert, did you have a line or quote that you picked out from the movie as your favorite? Oh man, this this I have so many lines. <laughs> I cannot pick two, um, but yeah, if, if you watch the movie, you understand what I'm saying. It's just it's way too cool. Um, one of the one of the lines that I picked, and I'm kind of wondering if I should because it has a, a. Can you say bad words in the show? Totally, go for it. We have no <laughs> restrictions or rules. Awesome. Okay, so the first one is uh, is when we get an introduction to uh, Captain Jam, and it's just this phrase. Just can't, she tells you what she is and what she stands for immediately. And this is where you know, following what um, Ricky D was uh, was mentioning, the the scene where uh, Bubs throws the harpoon and grabs that that bounty from the rest of them. And then immediately we see Captain uh, Jan uh, walking through the bridge of the victory. And she says, out of my way, you fucking amateurs. That <laughs> crap is ours. Step on it. And Tejo just fixes his socks full of, you know, holes and steps on the ship. <laughs> yep. There is so much Faye Valentine energy in, in that quote. Like, <sighs> But it's delivered in an absolutely Spike Spiegel manner. And 
I love that character. Like I said, she reminded me a lot of Masato from uh, Evangelion. Um, just the red leather coat, I think, is probably what did it. I'm pretty basic individual. Um, but she she definitely embodied that cool captain. Like I said, devil may care. She's like, you know she's going to get through this. Even if the whole crew doesn't make it through this movie, that character is going to live through this movie, and that's all there is to that. I loved her like pneumatic uh hooks on the end of a cabling system on her backpack that helped her like stay on the hull while she's just fighting in space with a gun and no gravity she was she she can captain the hell out of a ship i i really really like that pick for a line ricky d from best flicks with ricky d did you pick out a favorite quote this week I did not, and I have been scouring the internet to try and steal one, but there are zero quotes from this movie that Google knows I was going to say, the, I think part of that is like if you try and look up Firefly quotes, you just get like books of quotes, right? Because there are so many. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, I had a couple. Um, I think I think the one that I, I ended up picking is, yes, it's on the nose, but I think it's essential to the movie. Um which is when he just looks at his, I think he, I think Teho looks to Tiger and says, do you think poverty makes us bad or are we bad because we're poor? And it's like, whoa, dude, first of all, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Second of all, isn't that obvious? Like it's, that's why they call it the struggle, bruh. Like you, you it's, it's okay as long as you know you're making the attempt, you're miles ahead of a lot of people, and and you should be grateful for the opportunity to make the attempt, you know, and and just to to have the chance to live your life in in a way that you get to di- dictate some of it should be enough. And you know, money isn't what matters. What matters is what you do with money, right? So I, like I said, it felt a little on the nose, and it, you know, having no frame of reference, I thought to myself. Is this a deeply held, maybe traditionally Korean attitude coming through in the in the plot of this movie? Um, you know, do they have some sort of is there a national identity toward you know working hard or um, some nobility in the struggle, nobility in poverty, sort of a thing? Um, and to answer that, I don't know because I I literally watched the movie last night, went to work today, and here we are. So I haven't had a lot of chances to do any research on it, but the point is just the presence of a line like that made me consider the headspace of the person who wrote this movie, and I have no frame of reference with that person. And I'm now interested in learning a little bit more about the culture that this movie came from, because I bet you when I dig into learning about Korean culture, I'm going to find something about what I had just mentioned, you know, like a, a value of a hard work ethic, um, you know, willingness to keep trying even if the thing doesn't work the first time. That There's a lot of, um, I think a lot of countries feel, feel that as a national point of pride. Like in America, you know, it's work hard and, you know, that kind of thing. We don't manufacture too Get great. yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, one of those kinds of national identity things where people are like, you know, all Americans feel this way or all, I just wonder because I don't know. I don't have a frame of reference. So I'm very interested to check that out. Um, and then I think the other one that would definitely be my favorite was just that, that they had a, a 
verbal question answered with a visual joke, which is the, like I mentioned before, he says, you remember greedy people go to hell, right? And then it cuts to Bub's sweater and it just says, I lived in hell. Like that's, that's just well done. I appreciate the heck out of that. Now, there is one thing left that we have to do for this movie, my friends, before we get out of here for the evening. And that, of course, is to give it a rating. We usually give movies a rating out of 10. And I think we can just stick with that because I thought about going to a five rating because it would force people to be a little more decisive. But I think the thing that I like about the nuance of a 10 point scale is that it allows you to say, yes, this movie is exactly average, right? Like, because I've seen movies where I'm like, I'm not, I'm not angry and I'm not happy. It just happened. <laughs> and I don't think this is one of those movies for me. In fact, I promise that it's not. But I know that there are movies like that out there. So with all that having been said, I would like to hand it over to Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D. What do you give the movie Space Sweepers out of 10, my friend? I don't think I can go any lower than a nine. Uh, 10 is a little bit rough, especially for a movie, and especially one that I've only seen once. I, it's hard to heap that kind of praise on it, but I got to go for a nine. Uh, I plan on watching this movie again within the next week. Uh, it it was very interesting. It was dense. You could probably break it into two or three sittings if you really wanted to. And it's also, it was really fresh. It was a ton of ideas that I've seen before, but they were patched together in this really fresh new kind of way i loved this movie 100 percent agree and may i say personal note i'm just glad that you had fun with a movie here on sudden but inevitable <laughs> for a change my friend and wonderful guest robert from the science fiction do you go by science fiction remnant or do you guys say sci-fi remnant because i know your handle i know your handle on twitter is at sci-fi remnant okay Robert, my friend and host of the Science Fiction Remnant podcast, what is your rating for Space Sweepers out of 10? Well, for everybody that knows me knows this is a 10. It's just yeah. straight out 10. It, it's, it's, it has everything, I mean, sci-fi, cyberpunk, you name it. It has everything. It's a love letter to sci-fi, and it was fun. You have obviously your 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 drama side. You know, there's the part that breaks you, and there's another part that puts you back together. So this is just a ten for me. I can dig that big time. And as somebody who rates on emotion and enjoyment, I think ten is fully understandable. Um, I do. I know where you're coming from, Ricky. As far as like, you don't want to imply that it's perfect. Um, but I can, I use my tens generally to imply just pure ecstasy all the way through um that having been said i think i probably i don't know it's i did have an absolute blast with this movie there were a couple of things where i was like this is not perfect but again i i don't know if i should use that i mean this movie is gleeful borderline copyright infringement of everything sci-fi you've ever seen before in your life and i it's like if if Ready Player One understood the difference between paying respects to something that came before and actually just lifting that thing straight out and using it as is. Um, is this predictable? Yes. Is it slightly disjointed in places? Yes. Is it enough fun and heart to ignore all of that for two plus hours straight? You bet your ass it is. I had a ton of fun with this movie. I actually wrote down nine, but I'm going to give this movie a 10 as well because... 
to come into it expecting basically nothing. And I don't mean like, Robert, I don't mean to say that I expected this movie to be bad. What I mean is I had zero expectations. And to come out the other side of it with potentially, you know, a new top 10 favorite space Western, like, that's huge for me. So I think I'm going to give it a 10 as well. Ricky's going to give it a 9. Fully understandable. Don't hate you for that at all. That gives us a 29 out of 30, which is a 9.67 out of 10 for Space Sweepers. I would say that that's accurate. I, I Actually, can we check? Can one of you guys check the Rotten Tomatoes score for me? I'd be interested to see if it's higher or lower than that. Uh, it, we wrote it. Baited, <laughs> we rated it higher. I was looking earlier. I think audience has it at 67 or uh, critics have it at 67, audience have it at 78. That I believe. I, I could see if you were to average this over an entire audience full of people, maybe some who aren't into sci-fi at all, I could see where you would you would end up at a very solid uh, B plus with that sort of a thing. Uh, or is that a, sorry, did you say 7.8? Almost a B minus. So yeah, <laughs> we're not going to say C plus. I think almost a B minus is better. But here at Sudden But Inevitable, it gets an A. So now, I have to say one more time before we do the final part of this where we say where people can find us and how much fun we've had and getting out of here and doing that kind of a thing. I want to say to the ladies in the live chat, Callie D, Rona D, you people are amazing. We, Ricky D and I, have struggled through this entire week to put a version of this show together that doesn't involve Josh. Let me clarify. Josh has not been removed from the show. He's not quitting the show. None of that is happening. He is currently not available to the show. And he pulls the bells and levers and whistles and does all of the things behind the scenes that make this show easy for Ricky, D, and I to put together. So when he is unable to do that and we have to make those things work between the two of us, it makes the show more of a struggle. Um and I don't mean to speak for Ricky D, but it is a lot easier for me to not focus on the negative parts of that struggle when I know that as soon as our stream fires up, Callie and Rona are going to be there saying, hey, guys, loved the movie. Can't wait to talk about it with you. Like, it's a huge dopamine hit for me. And we talk a lot about found family on our show because we watch a lot of shows about found family. But Rona and Callie. You are our found family. Thank you for being here with us tonight. We appreciate it deeply. Now, my good friend Robert, host of the Science Fiction Remnant podcast, if the good folks out there would like to listen or talk with you, where are all the internet places that we can get more science fiction remnant in our lives? Well, we're basically everywhere. Every podcatcher... Um, you just pick which one you, you, you use and you can just type in science fiction remnant. You'll find us. Um, you could actually reach out to me on Twitter at sci-fi remnant. Um, we also have, a, I, I just started a, a chat all about sci-fi. So if you're interested in, in, uh, in sci-fi and you don't mind those constant beeping all the time, <laughs> then you might want to jo join that group chat. Uh, you can reach out to me on, on Twitter. And um, I also have a Discord that um, I'm trying to grow. So, um, yep. And if I may, definitely go listen to the... Okay, I have not finished listening to all of Science Fiction Remnant. 
Um, I really, really enjoyed the District 9 episode that you guys did. I think I actually watched that one live. And then um, I'm... I'm like this close to pushing through Darling in the Franks this weekend because when you and I were talking about it last night, I was like, man, I want to watch that show so bad. And he's already seen it. And he's going to talk about like, I might just watch that this weekend just to be a part of it. Now the uh, group chat that Robert mentioned, the sci-fi group chat that we have going on Twitter, we're going to try, if you guys, Ricky D, do you remember back in the early to mid two thousands they had those really weird conceptual, like borderline creepy commercials for the sci-fi channel where it would be like a room shot at a strange angle and there would be like something in it and it would be like, like weird toning and then it would just like pop up the sci-fi logo and then it would cut to black. There was like all these weird promos for that channel. Did you ever see any of those? I don't remember any of those. I got to sci-fi a little late. It took me till college. Oh, so by the time you were watching sci-fi, it was already spelled with two Ys. That's too bad. So yeah. uh, <laughs> back in the day, <laughs> they used to have like really good stuff on sci-fi. Actually, I think that's the first place that I saw um, Pitch Black, which is another great episode of Science Fiction Remnant that you should definitely check out. That might be the first place that I saw Pitch Black, which was back when Vin Diesel was a nobody. And that movie is great. Ricky, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen Pitch Black? Yeah, that's part of a trilogy, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. it is. But the it's the best part of that trilogy. Um, yeah. So all of that having been said, if if you go and you join that sci-fi Twitter chat that we have going, we're bringing a new hashtag back to the world. I don't know if it's new or back or whatever, but the old sci-fi slogan was, this is sci-fi, right? And they don't use that anymore because they're stupid and they don't really even show sci-fi as much as they should be for a show, for a network called sci-fi. So we're using the hashtag, this is sci-fi. If you're a sci-fi podcaster, streamer, YouTuber, any of that stuff, you just want to, be on a show and talking sci-fi get in there use that hashtag we would love to have you in the chat and that's kind of a place where we we have a ton of podcasters in there and we're just mining ideas for shows so definitely come in there it's gonna be a fun time ricky d my friend from best flicks with ricky d if the good folks would like to get more ricky d in their lives what's the best way they can do that Uh, you can follow me on twitter at best flicks ricky d uh i usually put uh links to my shows on there i'll put little advertisements that kind of thing i did many saints in newark about two weeks back and i think i'm getting ready to do dune this week uh do you have a a guest for that uh i do but i might need another one okay because i know a guy uh in a chair that could help with that just throwing it out there i know a guy in a chair all right (laughs) and i would like to say i have to spotlight this comment from our wonderful friend um callie d in the live chat I'm just so happy. I've been looking forward to this all week. And as always, it has been a blast. Smiley face with hearts. Thank you, Callie D. You ladies are the best. Now, if you want to go listen to old episodes of Sudden But Inevitable, maybe you want to listen to us cover Firefly or Cowboy Bebop or Highlander, you can do that at any podcast service that you use anywhere. We're on every podcast service. If you want to follow me specifically on Twitter, I am at Sudden But. There is one T as in Sudden But Inevitable. You can follow me on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. You can follow this show 
on youtube.com slash twistmyarmpodcast, or you can get everything associated with this show all in one place, including our beautiful merchandise, at twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI. Gentlemen, I think that it might be time for us to be hitting the old dusty space trail. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch. I want to say thank you to my guest, Robert. Thank you so much. And I feel very welcome, especially looking at the comments. Um, So thank you. And I just hope this is not the last time. So you guys have a good evening. I promise you, my friend, this will not be the last time. This is the first of many uh, long and arduous conversations that I plan to subject you to. Just ask Ricky D. Speaking of, would you like to say goodnight, Ricky D? Yeah, this is Ricky D from Bestless Ricky D. Thanks for listening. And of course, I have been your captain, Captain Bootscoot, a.k.a. Vanilla Husband, a.k.a. your host, Jesse. Remember, greedy people go to hell. Thank you for listening to the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch. Follow us on Twitter at Sudden But. Find us on Instagram at Sudden But Inevitable Podcast. And join the show live in the chat at youtube.com slash twistmyarmpodcast. Or to get everything all in one place, go to twistmyarmpodcast.com slash SBI. The Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch is a Twist My Arm podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are held solely by those speaking them.